Thank you. You rushed the cue a little bit. I was waiting for it, but thank you. No. Hey, uh, and with tonight, our journey together comes to an end. And I just want to tell you what a privilege it has been to handle the Word of God. And uh, I want to commend you. Uh, what we've talked about has not been easy. And uh, knowing my personality as well as I do, what we've talked about has maybe even for some of you sounded offensive. Here's the question I would love um, for you to answer as you're wrestling with maybe the emotion of what we've uh, talked through here this week. Um, is anything that I've told you from the word of God not true? And if it is true, then can it be shared with the heart and maybe heard with the heart in which it was communicated? And that is a heart of love, truth spoken in love. I have no desire to offend for offense sake, but I will say this, faithful are the wounds of a friend but deceitful of the kisses of an enemy. And what I hope is I've been a, a faithful friend to you in this journey to bring the word of God to life. Uh, but we are not quite done yet. Uh, we're gonna look at three passages here tonight, John 14 and following, Ephesians 1, and then we're gonna finish up with Galatians 5. So if you want to uh, begin to turn there, you're, you're welcome to do so. Before we get into the text though for tonight, can we just talk about what happened last night? Holy mackerel. That was unbelievable. And I, yeah, you can give it a hand. That's fine. You know, you, Romans 1.16, uh, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And uh, when you communicate the gospel uh, as a pastor, you have no idea the fruit. Because no, nothing, nothing that happened last night was because of the worship band or me or anything like that. What happened last night is because the spirit of God caused something to happen. And you responded and were open to that. And because of that, you were reconciled. Your sin, uh, you experienced imputation. You experienced justification, adoption. And I just want to make this note before we sort of turn the page uh, and begin to talk to the believers about how we walk out this messy process of life with God when we get home. And that would simply be this. Some of you maybe felt a little stirred, you've never trusted Christ, uh, but you might feel like, oh, I missed the opportunity, I'll have to wait till next year when I come back to Hume. Can, can I just tell you the gospel is available for you anywhere and anytime, and all you need to do is call upon Christ, and instantly something in your life will also happen. That being said, what took place last night for those who trusted Jesus, Scripture says that if anyone is in Christ, we are new creatures. Old things pass away, behold, new things have come. Some of you have a bit of shame in your past. Some of you have made some decisions you regret. Some of you have managed sin even compulsively and now you've trusted Christ. Can I just encourage you, you are not who you used to be. Something happened. And what happened is Jesus Christ has invaded your life and he has caused old things to pass away and behold, new things have come. One of the other things that has happened that we just don't, for the sake of time, uh, really have the, the time to dive into, is you're actually freed because of Christ from the mastery of sin. So in Romans chapter 8, we read in a previous night, I can't remember, they all kind of blur together, um, but uh, Paul says, in the flesh, it's impossible to please God. That in, in many ways, apart from Jesus Christ, you are in the flesh, and there's no other operating system in your life but you, and if you are in the flesh, it is impossible to please God, and worse yet, you're a slave to it. But when you trust in Jesus, he frees you from the mastery of sin. 
which means you're free now because of what Christ has done to no longer go back and live with the pigs anymore. You don't have to go live like that anymore. You don't have to look at the websites anymore. You don't have to take the drugs you've been taking anymore. You don't have to loathe yourself like you have been anymore because you are now free from that. Now, I wish I could tell you that you will never, ever struggle with it again. That's not what I said. You're free from the mastery of it. But here's the awful reality and why we need the gospel more right now than ever before. Um, You're free from the mastery of it, but not its influence. Which means I would love to tell you that that besetting sin that just kept tripping you up, that because of Christ you're miraculously delivered from it, that may be the case, but it actually may not. And if it's not, how do we walk out this faith that we have in Christ? What does it look like for us to live out this gospel that we have embraced? We're in the freedom of Christ. We can live differently, even in the presence of the old life. Well, with that in mind, John chapter 14. As you're turning to John chapter 14, if you'll recall, we've talked very diligently about what sin is. That sin is not simply something you do. Sin is not simply missing God's standard. Sin is operating in what I've called autonomy. Operating on your own, alone, in the flesh. And as we've talked about that, we said that was the root issue with Adam and Eve. And as you look at our sins, even today, that's what we're dealing with as well. And if we're operating in autonomy or in the flesh, it is impossible to please God. And I think that's what Jesus had in mind in John 14 and following. And what I wanna do like we've done all week is kind of skip a rock because Jesus now um, is in the upper room in the context of John 14. He's enjoying a Passover meal with his disciples. He is literally hours away from betrayal on the cross. And he chooses to share with his disciples what might be the most important words he could ever give to them knowing his departure is imminent. And let's begin to skip. Look at chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. Jesus, in the context of the upper room, says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Jesus is dropping hints, clues, that his earthly presence is going to leave And when his earthly presence leaves, he says, no, no, don't worry. I'm going to send you another helper. Look at verse 18 now. He says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. It's a promise of the presence of God being with us and even in us. Look at verse 20. In that day you will know that I um, am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. There's some sort of promise of indwelling and and he hasn't fully unpacked it yet, but there's something about Jesus is going to go, but something, or better said, someone, is coming. Look at verse 23. Jesus answered and said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him, and we will make our home with him. Verse 26, but the helper The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring you remembrances of all I said to you. And then if you look at the bottom of verse 31, do you notice there's a location change? 
At the bottom of verse 31 of chapter 14, he says, arise, get up, let's go from here. And then if you were to flip forward to chapter 18, verse 1, you'll see they enter the Garden of Gethsemane. It shows us that in John's account, what takes place in chapters 15, 16, and 17 happen after they leave the upper room and before they get to the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you look at chapter 15, verse 5, notice what he says. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches, speaking of a vineyard metaphor, they must have walked by some vineyard on the way from the upper room over to the garden. And he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you see the pattern? I will be with you. I will be in you. I will make my home with you. I will, have, um, I will abide with you. Notice verse 26 now and 27. He says, now when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father. That is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will testify about me. And you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. Look at chapter 16 now, verse 7, continuing in the same theme. He says, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is dropping these incredible promises of something that has never happened in the lives of these disciples, something that changes everything. And he's saying, no, no, it's good that I go. I can be in one place at one time, but when the helper comes, he will be with you. Look at verses 8 through 11. And he, this helper, when he comes, here's what he's going to do. And some of you experienced the work of the Spirit of God last night. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness, and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment because the rule of this world has been judged. Some of you last night, God did something in your life. The Spirit of God did what only the Spirit of God did, can do, and that's convict you. You've been doing whatever you've been doing. I don't know. We all got stuff that we're wrestling with with the Lord. That's why we need the gospel. And all of a sudden, something cracked, and you put words to things through tears that you swore you'd never tell anybody. And all of a sudden, it's coming out, and you're like, what is happening? What's happening is the Spirit of God is doing what only the Spirit of God can. Look now in verses 13 through 15. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. And he will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. And all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Do you remember all the way back Monday morning, we talked about the nature of our self-revealing God. That thankfully God isn't a God that's like hiding from you. You don't have to you know, have the right incantation. You don't need a magic wand to approach God. He's revealed himself in creation in his works, in the scriptures, in Jesus. And with increasing intimacy, the final one is with the indwelling of the very spirit of God. And we talked about the nature of our triune God, that everything is from the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. And what God has done by his grace is given those of us who are followers of Jesus the greatest gift we could ever have in this life, and that is his presence localized in us. The Spirit of God dwelling here. What do we know about the Holy Spirit in our Bible? Well, in Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. 
And in verse 2 it says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. So the Spirit of God is present biblically all the way back to Genesis 1-2. What do we know about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? Well, we know that like Samson, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. He turns green, rips off his shirt, grabs the jawbone of a donkey like the Hulk, kills a thousand dudes. Spirit of God departs. The Spirit of God would come for a specific purpose and then would depart. King Saul, Spirit of God would come. Good things would happen. Spirit of God would, would leave. He would have an evil spirit upon him, and David would have to play his banjo to calm down Saul. David's going to say this, by the way. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Depending on how long you've been at church and how old school your church is, there was a song that people would sing in New Testament churches. That song, probably with hand motions or a puppet show or whatever, but take not your Holy Spirit from me. That was the Old Testament and how the Spirit of God operated. We will not sing that song in our church because it's an unbiblical song as it relates to the New Testament because something happened. Something changed. Here's what took place. Jesus began to promise now the giving of this one called the helper. And Jesus says, no, it's good that I go. Because I can be in one place at one time. I'm localized. But if I go to the Father and we send the helper, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will be in you, here, in your body. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So look, if we're going to meet tonight to worship, we don't need to say, Spirit of God, we invite you. He's already here. And he doesn't need your permission or invitation. He is here, always in us. Because remember, we who are in Christ, something has happened. If you have Ephesians 1, look at verse 13. Verses 13 and 14. I want to show you where God is right now. Verses 13 and 14. It says, in Christ. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In Christ, you also... After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with the view of the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. What does that mean? When you heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross on your behalf, and you believed in that moment, like last night for many of you, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, which means he's here. You don't have to go look for God. He's here. You don't have to go find God outside there. He's here. If you are in Christ, you are fully forgiven, fully accepted, fully known, fully loved, and sealed with the Spirit of God. He is here. Now, for some of you, that is encouraging. You're like, oh, the God of the universe is here. He's with me. I'm not alone, ever. He's here. I don't have to be in autonomy. Again, he's here. For some of you, it's terrifying because you go, oh, gosh, he's here. And he knows what I'm looking at and what I'm doing and what I'm thinking. And I go, yes, and that's okay. He's here. There's a, there's a reality to our faith that is unbelievable. 
that when we feel close to him, he's here. When we feel distant from him, he's here. When we're doing well, he's here. When we're struggling to the heavens, he's here. No shame, no condemnation, no guilt. Those were dealt with at the cross. He's here. Now, that's not to say he delights in our immorality, but he's here. He's with you in everything you do. You cannot, like a jacket, take him off, go participate in whatever, and then go put him back on again. That's not how it works. So for those of you whose Christian faith looks different on a Sunday versus a Saturday night, I just want you to know, he's here. Both Sunday morning and Saturday night. He's with us. We live in a reality of the presence, the real presence of the Spirit of God here. The, um, when you're in school, you study biology, right? What's biology the study of? Do any of you know? Study of life, okay, zoology, study of like living things, animals, whatever, okay, sociology, study of like humans and or like social stuff, that kind of thing. Okay, I want to teach you another one. It's called pneumatology. The word pneuma is the Greek word that means spirit. So pneumatology is the study of the Holy Spirit. We live, this is a big fancy word, but you, you can get it. We live in a pneumatological reality of our faith, which means he's here. And forgive me for being so redundant, but I want you to understand the reality of that. So the question then is how do we learn to open to the spirit of God that is here? Because if we don't learn to open to the spirit of God that is here, then we're going to do the Christian life in our flesh. Then we're just going to try to be good, try to read our Bible, try to just don't suck, okay? And I just want to tell you that the will is not a very good long-term motivator. We need a better power that's driving our spiritual life. And that power is the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. You remember the story of Nicodemus? We've talked about him a hundred times. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, wants to have a religious conversation. Jesus is not having it. He goes, hey, bro, you got to be born again, but I'm not doing this. Something has to happen. And he says, for example, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, he goes, look at the wind. He goes, you don't know where the wind comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, there's a power that needs to be at work in your life because something happened, a power that's at work in your life that you learned to open to that's different than just you. Because here's what we know. Romans 8 tells us that you and I, who are in Christ, are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. We're told that what God has begun in us, in us God will be faithful to complete. We're told that God is at work in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let me just ask you, have you arrived yet? Do you look like Jesus yet? No, of course you don't, nor do I. Because there's a biblical ideal and then there's the awful reality. The question is, how do we close that gap? If that's the biblical idea, be perfect as he is perfect, and yet here's the awful reality, how do we close the gap? And I just want to tell you, you close the gap by the power of the Holy Spirit. From the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. We've got to learn to open to the Spirit of God in our life. He wants to do something in us. He wants to lead us into the abundant life. He wants to lead us into all truth. We have to open to that. How do we do that? Galatians 5. Galatians 5. I've been thinking a lot about this passage. 
and I hope it comes out tonight as um, well as it is in my head. I am really enjoying this text, and I, I want to play with it a little bit with you. Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. One of the things we have to do is retrain the way we do life because we are very used to doing life in the flesh. We do autonomy really, really well. Think about it this way. How, how often throughout the day today do you look back from the morning you woke up this morning and um, the great race and all the stuff you did today? As you look back, how often did you have moments hours, maybe even large blocks of time where you didn't think about God at all. It's autonomy. It's natural to us. It's easy for us to do life on our own. We're used to that. But what we've got to do is retrain and how to do life open to the Holy Spirit, open to what he is doing in our life. And by the way, it's he, not it. The Holy Spirit's not an it. It's a person, God, the Holy Spirit, he in our life. How do we open to that. Well, look at Galatians 5.16. Paul, speaking to a church in Galatia, modern-day Turkey, first book Paul wrote, and he says this, but I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify or carry out the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. That word walk is a very specific word. It's the word peripateo, which means to walk about with. Now, in the Greek language, and I'm not a Greek scholar, so let me geek out just for a second. I think it's worth it. There is, when it comes to verbs, a tense, a voice, and a mood to a Greek verb. So it's very specific language. This verb walk, peripateo, is in the present tense, which means this walking is ongoing with no assumption of completion. It's never done. There is no destination that you walked to and then stop walking. We will be walking in the spirit until he takes us home uh, or we pass away and go be with Jesus, okay? We will always be walking. Second, the voice of this is it's active, which means it's you're the one who's doing it. This is not passive. This is not you're being walked upon or you're not walking yourself. This is you actively walking, okay? And then finally, the mood is it's an imperative, which means it is bringing a potential to mind that you're responsible to bring into reality. Which means to walk by the Spirit means it's always happening. It's never done. It's you who's doing it. And it's actually not an option. It's something we're obligated to do. Do you see it now? Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And it's going to be an ongoing process. Why? Look at verse 17. Because the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. So you probably thought before you trusted Jesus that there was life in the flesh or life in the spirit. And you're like, okay, I don't want the flesh. I choose Christ. And praise God you did. And now you're, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. But you can choose to walk in the flesh or walk in the spirit. And those two are going to battle. It's going to be a Saturday night, to use that metaphor again, and you're going to be super tempted to choose autonomy. But you don't have to, but you can. But by the power of the Spirit of God, you can choose to retrain, to be open to the work of the Spirit of, uh, Spirit of God in your life, to live differently, to embrace the gospel, not just at a point in time, but over time. See, some people think, I come to Hume, I trusted Christ. What? I did it. I go, no, you... You embrace Christ at a point in time, but now you need the ongoing work of the gospel over time. This journey is just beginning. It's not done. 
See, when we're walking with him, that's the work of the Spirit. When we recognize that we're walking alone, that's the work of the Spirit. Why? Because in the flesh, there's none who seeks for God. So if there's even like a conviction of like, oh, man, I haven't prayed in a while, that's the Spirit. Man, I haven't been in my Bible in a while, that's the Spirit. As long as the voice is not shaming you, that's not the Spirit, that's the devil. Because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've got to learn to open to the work of the Spirit. Well, if we don't and we are in the flesh, what does that look like in our life? Look at verse 19 and following. Now, the, the works of the flesh are evident. They are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envying, drunkenness, orgies, and my favorite, things like these. Just to make sure nothing's left off the list. The point is, when vice shows itself in your life, meaning indulgence, then you know, ooh, that's flesh. That's flesh. And he says, I warned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't say those who do such things, by the way. It says those who practice. He's not talking about an oops. He's talking about a habitual way of doing life. Um, is it possible, by the way, to lose your salvation? Theologically, I would say no, because you didn't earn it in the first place. So you cannot lose your salvation. But is it possible for someone to think they're a believer when they're actually not? 100% yes. In the emotions of the moment, you're like, I don't want to go to hell. That sounds awful. Yeah, okay, I'm in. And you raise a hand, pray a prayer, check a box, whatever. But if something hasn't happened, then you're still in the flesh. If something hasn't happened, then you don't have the spirit of God in your life. If something hasn't happened, you're walking your life in the flesh. This is what your life will be marked by habitually. And if you think you're a follower of Jesus and your life is marked habitually by these things without conviction, you might want to make sure that something has happened. And if not, start there. That being said, what do you do when, um, when you notice the deeds of the flesh? You simply open to God. You go, oh, God, I need you. That was flesh. And I just need you. Thank you for your grace. I need you. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So there's no condemnation, so you don't need to beat yourself up. You just go, that was flesh. Apologize to who you need to apologize to. Open your heart to God. God, thank you for your grace. I need you. Well, what about the fruit of the Spirit? What does that look like in your life? Like when you're open to God and you're, and you're being led by him, what does it look like? Verses 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. So what do you do when you see those things in your life? You don't say, man, I'm doing good. Because remember, apart from him, you can do nothing. You simply open to God and you go, God, thank you. I, I sense peace in my life. That's from you. Thank you. I acknowledge that. You have self-control. You go, oh, God, that's you. That's you. I see it. You're living yourself out in my life. That's you. I don't do that in the flesh. I don't have that capacity in the flesh. That spirit, I acknowledge that. I open to you. Well, what do you do, though, with, like, your passions, your longings, your desires, like all this, like, cauldron of stuff happening in here? Look at verses 24 and 25. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Can I just tell you what that means? It means that the driving force in your life ought not to be what you feel is right, but what he says in his word is right. 
that the driving force in our life of what is moral or immoral is not what you hear on TikTok, it's what is in chapter and verse. That, that what life should be lived in pursuit of is not the latest cultural trend, but what does the old school text call us to? Are you with me on that? And then he finishes with this. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Some of your Bibles might translate that a little differently. Some of your Bibles say since. It's a first-class condition. It's not if, like, ooh, I hope so, nail-biter. It's like, no, it's a reality. So since we live by the Spirit, let us also walk or keep in step with the Spirit. Interesting thing about that, it's a different word. It's not the word that we saw in verse 16, peripateo, which means to walk around with. This is the word stoikao, which means to bring into alignment or order. Like if you had a bunch of like solo cups and I like straightened them out in a row. That's what this means. The question then is this, what does it mean for us open to the spirit to bring our life into alignment? What has the spirit of God already revealed to us as to what is pure, honorable, right, true, lovely, of good repute, excellence, and worthy of praise? It's the scriptures. So what Paul is saying is if you want to To live the Christian life, you've got to open to the Spirit, retrain to be open to the Spirit, to invite the Spirit of God to be with you, verse 16, that you never do anything alone. Why would you ever operate in the flesh again? Why? I mean, I catch myself. I go like afternoons. I'm like, Lord, I did not one time think of you. That was total flesh. God, thank you for your grace. I just want to open you. I want to be with you. I want to be with you. And then it means, verse 25, that you do life according to God's word. That God's word is the thing that we pursue and we strive after. So can I just invite you as I close here into a couple of means of grace as to how to walk out this messy process of life with God down the hill. And first, it's to be well acquainted with God's word. Because it is the spirit of God that inspired the word of God And it's the spirit of God that indwells you and will illumine the word for you. There's going to be times where you're going to read the Bible and you're going to go, I didn't get anything out of it. And I would bet there's probably several meals you've had that you've eaten that you're like, I don't even remember what I ate. I didn't get anything out of it. But your body was was nourished by it. Just like when you're in your Bible, you're nourished by it. Your spirit is nourished by it, whether you recall it or not. Then there's going to be those moments where it just leaps off the text. And you're like, dang, and it's like a mirror showing you your sin. Praise God, open to God. God, I I see that. That is an issue in my life, and I open to you. Thank you for showing me that. I'm with you in this, the word of God. Which means, friends, you gotta be students of the text. Get in your Bibles, learn it. It's awesome. And the more you know, the more questions you're gonna ask, the more you're gonna wrestle with stuff, you're gonna get ambushed with text. You're like, man, I've read that a hundred times. I've read that Galatians 5 passage and taught it a hundred times. And right now, it is just in my face. I'm loving it. I need it. I'm going, God, open you. Thank you for that. Second is God's spirit of learning how to be open to the spirit of God. You know where this impacts me most? By the way, when we talk about being open to the spirit, don't get weird. I'm not talking about like a tree branch fell into like there's the Lord. That's not what I'm saying. What I mean is this. If, if the spirit of God is in me, then my prayer life is a little different. Instead of praying to Father Weejus, have you guys ever prayed to Father Weejus? Father, we just thank you. Father, we just ask you to be here. Father, we just pray for so-and-so. Father, we just. No, instead of that, 
what would it look like to just open to God? You know what? My prayer time this morning, I woke up, sweet wifey was sleeping. I'm sitting there in the dark in a little chair in my room, and I just keep praying, God, I'm here. I'm just here. I want to be with you. I'm not asking for anything. I don't want anything. I just want his presence. I just want to be with him. I just want to be with God. It is beautiful. And it just changes everything. Third, his word, his spirit, and his people. Look, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but when you hang out with knuckleheads, you act like a knucklehead. Have you noticed that? I do. When I think back to the times that I did the most stupid, I was hanging out with people who were not walking with God. The other is also true. When I hang out with people that are walking with God, I walk more closely with God. You need God's people. God's people. And that's folks who care about the word, who care about the Lord, who care about you, who love you enough that they're not impressed by you, who love you enough that they'll tell you what is true. You need God's people. And then finally, I would say this. You need God's church. Some of you are guests. You just came to camp. I remember as a kid, you know, I grew up with just my pops, and he wanted a week vacation, and he, he knew Hume was safe, so he sent me to camp. I didn't know Jesus from nothing. And that might be you. You need a church. I remember coming up with some church in Fresno. We didn't even attend. I didn't even know anybody. I came up by myself. Didn't know anybody, not even a friend. Pops was just like, and then had a party back home. Um, and if that's you, you need a church, a place where you can worship, a place that has leadership, people with gray hair that love you, that can care for you, make you a casserole, you know. Uh, you need a place that you can come and uh, listen to that sweet old gal who sings like seven octaves higher than anybody else. And you go, praise God for her because that lady has walked with Jesus longer than you've been alive. I and mean, that's a gift. It's a gift. You need God's word. You need God's spirit. You need God's people and God's church. Let me close with this. There are two passages in John that we didn't get to. But I think they summarize the greatness of Christ, which throughout this entire series, we really wanted you to fall more in love with Christ. John 20, verses 30 and 31 says this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, the Gospel of John. But these things in the Gospel of John were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So as you're reading through the Gospel of John, know that's John's intent of writing what he wrote, is that you might believe that Jesus uh, is the Savior of the world and that by believing you may have life in his name. The final one is chapter 21, verse 25. John makes a very odd concession. And he goes, look, there are many other things that Jesus did. And were every one of them written down, I suppose the world itself would not contain all the books that would be written. So let me just tell you as I wrap up simply this. There is none like Jesus. There's just not. And um, as you grow uh, to walk more intimately with him, you will just be amazed at the beauty of our Christ and you will experience his grace and his love and his patience. You will experience his kindness. You will experience the loving conviction of the Holy Spirit. And you will experience the presence of our God. 
who wants to be with you above all else. And so as you pursue Christ, as you walk with him in this messy process of life with God, may you do so never alone, never in autonomy, always with the one who loves you. Let's pray. God, your word is so good, and I thank you for these students and for the journey we have with you. So, Lord, would you bless us as we wrap up a very hard week. Truth be told, we have brought it. And, Lord, I'm thankful that what we've brought is the truth of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, in whose name is life, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is indeed Lord, and that in him we find eternal life, that we may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And thank you that in our lives, for those who are in Christ, something happened. And so we marvel at that. In Jesus' name, amen.